Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody this here. Uh, glad to have you here with us, especially those of you who are online with us also. want to encourage you there to uh, go on Facebook. You can share prayer requests there on Facebook. Uh, you can find us there on Twitter, both of those at HBC Tullahoma. You can find us on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. And then our phone live streaming, if you want that number, uh, please call the church office. It's 931-455-0645. Uh, if you're here in person and you need that number, see me. I'll give you that number uh, today so that you can share that. Uh, with your friends. I also want to encourage you that if you're there online, go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info link there. You can download today's worship bulletin. Encourage you to do that. It's got our missionary moment in it. If you don't have one of these in person, uh, be sure to raise your hands. I'm sure our ushers will be glad to come around and to give you uh, one of the bulletins there. And if you need one of the children's worship bulletins, they're in this windowsill uh, over here to my right, to your left. One for ages seven and up, one for ages three and up, and they go along with today's message. And then also you can download those under that info tab as well as the prayer list for today. If you need one of the prayer lists, there are a few down here on the front pew. But we're glad to have everybody who's here. Uh, we're glad and excited about worshiping the Lord, excited about having our kids uh, that are going to sing here in just a little while too. Uh, but first of all, let's worship together. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. I am thine, O Lord. Ladies.
Amen. As we come to our missionary moment, uh, you'll find it there in your bulletin. Uh, as many of you know how COVID affected us here uh, in the United States, it affected many of our missionaries uh, around the world. And our missionary emphasis today is on Karan Johnson. Uh, she is, uh, she uh, was from uh, Brazil or works there in Brazil with the American peoples. Uh, she endeavored connecting volunteers in the U.S., uh, with Brazilians to meet online uh, for English conversation where all of that had been done in person before they were having to meet online. Uh, they use a curriculum that's a gospel presentation of the gospel of Mark uh, and they use that to teach people the English language. And so uh, it was an unbelievable time there in trying to connect those uh, individuals uh, but God is still working and God is blessing uh, the work there. And so we just want to uplift them uh, in our prayer this morning, uh, all of our missionaries, but especially Karan Johnson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for all of the blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for blessing us even financially, Lord, that we can be a blessing to others, that we can be a blessing to our missionaries. And Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be with all of our missionaries all around this world, wherever they are, wherever they are gathering together to worship with other believers and those who don't know Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you will help them to see a great outpouring of your Spirit. Father, we pray that they will have a great service today, that many souls will become saved. We pray that even for today in our service, Lord. And we pray that you will bless us and continue to encourage us, Lord, as we give every Sunday that a portion of our tithes and our offerings go towards the cooperative program uh, that, that is the bulk of keeping those missionaries on the field. So, Father, I just pray that you'll bless us, that we might be a blessing to them. Surround them with your angels, place a hedge of protection about them, and we just ask, Lord, for your will to be done in their hearts and their lives. Bless us as we continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let me just say uh, one quick thing in the way of announcements. You'll hear a bunch of those at the end. Uh, but we have started Prime Timers back uh, and want to encourage you, if you have not signed up for the next month, uh, we want to make sure we're, we're going to be catering again this month. So there is a sign-up sheet on the board out here. That way we'll know how many uh, to plan for that will be coming for this month. We know that may vary from month to month. So uh, for at least for the time being, we'll have a sign-up sheet each month for you to sign up and to let us know that. And then don't forget to uh, you have your offering envelopes. Uh, be sure to, uh, those should be in the pews in front of you. If you don't have one, our ushers will be glad to give you one. There are some in the windowsills that you can grab also. You can place those in the offering plates here. Uh, if you're at home or even in person, you can go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and you can do your online giving there. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. Uh, it's time for our kids to come and to sing, and so we're going to move a few things uh, out of the way for them to come and do that. And so you pray for them as they come as well as their leaders.
Good morning. These are our Awana kids that I've had the privilege of working with several times each month during our Wednesday night Awana program. What a joy it is to hear children sing, and especially when they're singing to the Lord. So we pray this morning that as we sing, that your heart will be blessed uh, with the songs that we're sharing. I will add a little update. If you'd like to hear our cubby sing, join us on Wednesday night for our Awana celebration because I'm hoping that they will come and sing with us then. We're going to let them wait until Wednesday to sing. But our Sparks and our TNT will share two of the songs that we've worked on uh, over the past few weeks and months. The first one is I Am a Promise, and then the second one will be the Grace Medley. So may your hearts be blessed.
kids, will you stand up so that your child can find you in the congregation, please? Didn't they do a good job? Oh, so pleased. Say good job. Join the choir after that beautiful music and sing praises to the Lord as we sing, Take Time to Be Holy. We'll do all four of the verses. Stand and join us as we uh, prepare for the ser sermon by singing 395, God of Grace, God of Glory. We'll be singing the first, the second, and fourth verse. God of Grace and God of Glory. Thank you all.
not signed them uh, out. Sorry, Andrew. I'll turn my other one on. If you've not signed them on the sheet uh, out in the hallway, please take the time uh, to do that uh, also. So we'll give you just a moment uh, as children come. While they are coming, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 3 and verse 7 uh, down through verse 19. Wasn't that a blessing this morning with the children singing? Amen. Amen. That was really great. Mark chapter 3 and verse 7 through 19. We're just going to begin with verse 7 down through verse 8. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, uh, reading this passage, I ask your blessing on your word that you will speak your truth and encouragement to our lives, especially, uh, Lord, as we sometimes find ourselves uh, walking down this journey of life, feeling like we're carrying the weight of the world. Uh, We're trying to live under the pressure uh, of all the things around us, expectations that people may have of us, uh, the, the weight and the burdens of things we place on ourselves. Uh, some of the, the, just the cares and the struggles and the troubles uh, of this life that begin to put us under that pressure. And so, Father, I pray this morning that from this passage, you will help us to glean some truths that will help us to learn how to live under pressure. Father, I pray that we'll see that through the example of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you will uh, use it to encourage not only those who are believers and giving them some some guidance as the Holy Spirit walks with them through those difficult days, but also especially, Lord, for those who don't know Christ, that they would come to faith in Christ, uh, Lord, to have the greatest burden lifted off of their lives, that of their sin debt. And so, Father, I pray that your will be done in this service this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. As you may have seen on the title slide there, I've entitled my message this morning, How to Live Under Pressure. And you know that uh, stress and pressure and anxiety, all those things are a part of our life, and they're part of our life more than ever before. I mean, let me ask you, does anybody here feel like you're under pressure today? There's a lot who are. Uh, You ever feel like you maybe live in a pressure cooker? Uh, Did you know that it takes longer to cook food at higher altitudes than it does at lower altitudes? Because of that, the boiling point of water is lower and therefore takes it much longer uh, to cook food. But in a pressure cooker, high pressures are built up in that cooker, which raises the boiling point of water, and food can be cooked within minutes. I love cooking in a pressure cooker. Now I'll take my roast and I'll, I'll put it on the grill to give it that grilled taste, but then I'll put it in the pressure cooker <laughs> to, to cook the meat because I, I want it quick. I don't want to have to wait so long uh, and, uh, and wait hours for it to cook on the grill or to 
smoker. In, in fact, this principle of the pressure cooker is a very fascinating one because a pressure cooker is, is airtight and pressure builds up inside the pressure cooker as those liquids inside begin to come to a boil. And that steam is trapped inside and it causes the internal temperature to rise beyond what it would be capable of doing under normal room pressure. And so then food cooks at a higher pressure because it's under that pressure, it cooks even faster. So you think about it at sea level where the normal atmospheric pressure is 14.7 pounds per square inch. The boiling point of water is what? Science lesson? 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, the highest temperature that can be reached by water at that elevation. The boiling, uh, understand this though, but that boiling point is raised 38 degrees when you have it in that pressure cooker under that additional 15 pounds of pressure that can be obtained. But there's something else that's fascinating that I learned about as I was reading and studying for this this morning and getting ready, learning about pressure cookers. You know, a pressure cooker can, can, can help you maintain a healthier lifestyle even because, first of all, it, it uses only a third of the energy uh, of normal cooking methods. And because of the very little water that's used in the pressure cooker uh, and because of the pressure cooker is a, is a closed system, if you will, fewer vitamins and minerals are lost to the cooking water and dissipate through the air. Vegetables aren't exposed to oxygen. They retain their vitamins, their minerals, their color. In fact, the cooking times are most often uh, for for foods in the pressure cooker are approximately one-third the time of those same foods that you cook them in a traditional manner. And, And it's even faster many times than the microwave. Uh, And the reason all that fascinates us is because oftentimes life is like a pressure cooker. If we respond to pressure in the right way, it can make us better. It can make us stronger. You know, the average person today faces all kinds of different pressures. For some, I'm sure it feels like you're living in a pressure cooker. I know I feel that many times. Uh, Whether it's economic pressures or whether it's family pressure or pressure somehow related to your job, uh, we all know what the stresses uh, of daily life can be like. And, And maybe you're in a battle today for your health. Or maybe you're feeling the pressure of of not getting anywhere uh, in your life. You wonder why you're not at a different place in your life than you thought that you would be. Why you don't seem to have any sense of direction. Why you feel uh, like that, that little tiny hamster that's running on that wheel and never seems to be getting anywhere. Whatever it is... Feeling the pressure of life uh, is, is something that we all have in common. And even Jesus faced pressure. And that's what we're going to see in these verses today, that Jesus faced pressures because of the things that he was doing. And we're going to find that he would get away from it, but people would follow him. And he would get away from them, and they would follow again. And it would start all over again. Even the disciples knew what it was like to be under pressure. No, pressure isn't anything new. And life can be like that pressure cooker. And there are times when we feel like we're under a tremendous amount of pressure and we don't know really what to do. 
What we need to learn this morning is that the pressure that's in your life can be turned into a positive force in your life if you respond in the right way. So what I want to share with you today is a word that I I'm hopefully uh, will help uh, those like us who have to deal with various pressures. I want you to see, first of all, to, to kind of lay out the stage here before we get to some of the practical applications, I want you to see the magnitude of a pressured life, especially in the life of Jesus. I want you to see that magnitude. Notice here, first of all, the crowds that came to him. We read that in verse 7 and verse 8, but look at it again. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, great place to go, and a great crowd followed him. That wasn't so great. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. I mean, you just give out reading all those places that the people are coming from. So notice here, Jesus was forced, in a sense here, to withdraw to the Sea of Galilee. There seemed to be two reasons for this move, if you read the, the context here. One was the, the leaders, the religious leaders and the political leaders, because they were now plotting the death of, of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14 tells us a little bit about this. It says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. And the reason he didn't want to make it known yet who he was, he was still healing people, but he still had a lot to teach them. He knew that this is just the beginning. Uh, the ministry of Jesus has just really started and just really kicked off. Uh, he's nowhere near getting to the cross yet. And so he knows he has a lot that he wants to teach them uh, before he faces the end. And he had said on several occasions, my hour has not yet come. And he couldn't allow his death, not yet. And so he had to move out of the synagogue into the open country. And so that's why he goes to the sea there. But then also notice the crowds. It wasn't just the religious leaders and the political leaders. It was the crowds. They had become too large for the synagogue. Wouldn't you love that? That the crowd was just filling the church so much that we had to move everything somewhere else, maybe outside even, as, as Jesus did here. It was too large for the synagogues. It was even too large for the cities to handle all the people. And understand this, Jesus' impact on the people, it was unbelievable. It was incomprehensible. Think about this, in just a few months, because that's all we're into Jesus' ministry and his, 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 the life of his ministry here at this point, it's just been a few months that the whole nation has been moved in their hearts to seek Jesus, to seek after this Jesus of Nazareth, the promised Messiah. You know, one of the facts that's so often uh, unnoticed is, is the fact that's covered here in this passage that a great crowd followed him. Notice the, the multitude, the crowd is called great twice in these two verses, in verse 7 and verse 8. The crowds were enormous. I mean, think about it. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? That was the 5,000 men plus the women and children. And, and the impact on, of Jesus on the crowds had been phenomenal. So often that fact is often overlooked and sometimes even minimized. The crowds were demonstrating how eagerly people ought to seek 
after Jesus. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be seeking after Jesus. But notice these swarming multitudes, they flocked to Jesus. They truly sought him. They came from all over the nation. They came even from some foreign nations. Crowds came from all over Galilee. That's one of the places that it mentions there. In the area of Galilee, in that region... It was a place that was so heavily populated, it would have had over 200 cities with a population of 15,000 or more. Crowds came from Galilee, but they also came from Judea and Jerusalem. So you think of Galilee up in this part of Israel, Judea and Jerusalem is kind of below that. Uh, and, and so that journey was about a hundred mile journey to get to Galilee, to get to the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, you read there that it says crowds from Idumea. Uh, that's in the deep south. It's bordering Palestine, bordering the areas of Arabia. Idumea was the Greek and Roman name for the land of Edom, the land of Esau. And the significant point is, is that these people were traveling an even greater distance just to get to Jesus. And so these crowds, they, they also came from beyond the Jordan. So if you think of Israel as a strip here, uh, you've got Galilee and then you've got Jerusalem and Judea and Idumea, and then you've got uh, the, the, the crowds also from beyond the Jordan. So the Jordan River kind of runs down the border here of Israel, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan River runs down to the Dead Sea, that area over into Jordan. Uh, people were coming. Uh, that's the populations who live east of there. Uh, the crowds came from even the north, north of Galilee even, from the foreign lands of Phoenicia, uh, from the two major cities there of Tyre and Sidon. And so you've got this humongous crowd that is gathering. It's got too big for the cities. They're out in the country. Now they're out at the Sea of Galilee. And the reason these crowds flock to Jesus is given there in verse 8. Notice what verse 8 says again. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So understand why they were coming to Jesus. They were hearing about all the miracles. They were hearing about all the physical things Jesus was doing. They were hearing about people who were receiving their sight. They were hearing about people uh, who were receiving their hearing. They were hearing about lame people who couldn't walk, getting up and, and, and taking their beds up and, and walking. Uh, all of those things that we've already heard about in many of the miracles. They've heard of, uh, of, of people who uh, they thought were dead. The little girl that Jesus said, no, she's not dead. Uh, and he went and touched her and, and, and she raised up uh, as he told her to raise up. Uh, and so that testimony uh, of the Messiah, of Jesus, had spread. Everybody was talking about Jesus. The testimony that the Messiah had come, the, the, the prophet uh, who could meet the needs of mankind, it was spreading like wildfire. And when the people heard, what did they do? They got up. They packed their bags and they came to him in verse 8. What that tells us is, is about the importance of witnessing and, and talking uh, about the wonderful work of God's grace that we strongly see in Jesus' ministry. Think about this. How many more would be flocking to Jesus, following him, if we were faithful to tell them? If we were like these crowds, all they could talk about was Jesus. Let me ask you this, when you're outside of the church, 
What is this you're talking about? Do you ever talk about Jesus? I'm not saying you've got to talk about Jesus 24-7 in every little word that you speak or say. But we ought to be speaking about Jesus more than we speak about Jesus. And if we did, you could just see the impact that would have as it was having here upon the crowds that were gathering as they were faithful in sharing, as we are faithful in sharing the wonderful salvation that we have in him. What a great impact that would make. So often we're just talking about our problems. We're talking about the pressures that we're under because that's all that we can see. And we're going to help you with that this morning in just a moment. But notice the commotion that crushed him. There wasn't just the crowds, but there was the commotion. Look at verse 9. It says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So that gives a bigger picture there even to paint the picture for us that they're pressing in on Jesus. Do you like people getting up in your personal space like this? Most of us don't. And that's what they're doing. They're getting so close to Jesus that he's worried they're going to crush us. Somebody's going to get hurt in all of this. But they were doing so desperately what we need to do. They were seeking him, but they were seeking him even to the point of crowding him or pressing in on him, crushing in upon him. People by the multitudes were flocking to him, even to the point of endangering his life with the crushing of bodies. And you can just see the picture of the pressure. And then notice the curiosity that chased him. Verse 10, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So that word press there is kind of like the imagery you would get when you're pressing grapes to get the, the juice out of the grapes. You don't just barely touch them. You press them. You squish them as hard as you can to, to get that juice out. That's that emphasis of that word uh, there. They, they, they pressed around him to touch him in verse 10. The multitudes thronged him. Uh, they were wanting to touch him, hoping that, that like the woman who had the issue of blood, you remember her, that she reached out and touched the garment of Jesus and was healed. That's what they thought. If we can just touch Jesus, maybe some virtue would, would come out of him and, and flow through our own body to, to meet my need. And so Jesus has to ask for a small boat to, to sit just a short distance off the shore to rescue him in case the crushing crowd became too much for him to handle. Now we're going to see that boat in another passage again uh, in a little while. But notice he healed people with diseases, verse 10 tells us, but he also healed people with demons. It says in verse 11, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Notice Jesus's impact, not only on the crowds, but now he's got demons who are there. And his impact upon them was just as dramatic. They were forced uh, by his authority to bow down before him and to acknowledge you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And that impact of Jesus on those evil spirits was very dramatic. His presence caused a terrible fear within them. And yet the, his power over those evil spirits was also comforting and assuring to the believers because every spirit, evil spirit, every evil person understands this needs to fall down before Jesus, fearing and standing in awe and confessing unless they find themselves destined for hell. It was an unbelievable pressure 
that Jesus was under. We think the pressure we're under is great sometimes. But nothing like what Jesus was experiencing on this day. All too often, we're under pressure and, and we start to be filled with anxiety. We start to be filled with worry. And a lot of us don't get it, even though we can all look back over our life and we can see how God had provided for us time after time after time after time. When the pressure is on, the worry meter begins to go up and we just don't seem to get it sometimes. But notice how Jesus deals with this pressure. I want you to see my second point this morning, the management of a pressured life. The management of a pressured life. You find this in verse 12 down to verse 19. I'm going to give you five words to help you manage the pressures of life. Here's the first word I want to give you. Reboot. Reboot. You know sometimes you have to do that to a computer. It gets stuck and there's just nothing you can do. I've had that happen twice in the last two weeks. It just would not do anything and you just got to hit that power button and hold it down till the whole thing reboots and comes back up. Sometimes in life, that's what we need. We need a reboot, a spiritual reboot. So notice verse 12 here. It says, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. How did Jesus reboot? He redefined, he restated his purpose. What he was saying in verse 12 there is, this isn't who I am right now. This is not my purpose yet. He's saying, don't make me known yet because it's not that time yet. Notice John chapter 6 and verse 26. Here's what Jesus said. He answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That was after he did the miracle of feeding uh, the great crowd there. He met their physical needs but they didn't, want, he, they didn't want anything to do with their spiritual needs. And so what we need to be looking at, first of all, is what is God's purpose for our life? What has God called us to? Whatever, whenever you discover that and you spend time in prayer and you spend time reading God's word and you spend time seeking his presence and his face and you find out what he has called you to do, do that with all of your heart. Ultimately, Jesus had come to die. But it wasn't time yet. He had another purpose, another ministry that was yet to be done. He was to be teaching the people and, and showing them that he was the Messiah. You know, the greatest need of our nation is not political, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. You know, we could have a Democrat in the, in the, at the presidency. You can have a Republican there. You could have a Libertarian there. You could have whoever you want there. None of that matters. What matters is what's in our heart. Are you following Jesus Christ? Never follow a person. Always follow Jesus. Reboot. Make sure that your focus is on the Lord. Uh, here's the second thing. Once you know that, once you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, once you, as a believer, uh, begin to get your focus off of the problems and the circumstances and the pressure that you feel like you're under, and you begin to refocus on Jesus, that's the reboot, then you retreat. Notice what Jesus does in verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. We'll read the rest of that in just a moment. But he went up on the mountain. He often spent time alone, Jesus did. 
Before his ministry began, you remember he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, in the desert. Before he chose his disciples, he spent the entire night alone in the hills. When he received the news about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a, to a lonely place apart. Remember after the feeding, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, uh, he made his disciples leave. He, he, he dismissed the crowd and he went up into the hills, up into the mountains by himself. Mark 6 verse 46 says, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Another passage in Mark 1 35 says, after a long night of work, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went, to, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If you remember, after uh, the, the 12, he sends them out to, to go and to cast out demons and to, to do great miracles, but most importantly, to share the message of the kingdom. Uh, when they returned from that preaching and healing ministry, here's what Jesus told them in Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And even after the healing of the leper, we read that Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. And you could go on and on and on and see multiple passages after multiple passages where Jesus got alone, where he told his disciples, let's get alone. You need that time to get apart. If you don't get apart, you'll come apart. You need some time where you can retreat to be refreshed spiritually. That's our third point. The way to be refreshed is to do what Luke tells us Jesus did. Now, Matthew tells us this passage, and Luke tells us about this passage. We're looking at the passage here through Mark's eyes. But I want you to see what Luke has to say. Luke tells us what Jesus did in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. He went to pray. So when you get apart, it's not just getting out there all by yourself and, and getting out by the lake or getting up in the mountains or going to some isolated place and, and you're just going to look at nature out there. You're going to spend time with the Lord in prayer. That's the way you be refreshed through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so he went to pray, bring those pressures that you're going through to God. You know, so often we feel like, I've got this weight on me, and somehow I've got to fix it. Somehow I've got to take things into my own hands. And you know what happens every time we take things into our hands? We mess it up worse than it is, and then it adds more pressure than we had before. Take those pressures to God. David did that so often in the Psalms. You know, pressure ought to turn our focus to the Lord. And anything that you take and transfer to Jesus can be transformed by Jesus. And when, when I think about that, I think about the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that little boy that they found uh, who had uh, those, those fishes and, and those loaves of bread that he brought to Jesus by faith? And the reason he had such strong faith was that he had the right focus. Because where the disciples looked around, what did they see? They said, oh, we don't have enough food. They saw lack, but he saw the Lord. Where they saw a great multitude that was there, he saw a miracle. Where they saw a crowd, this little boy saw 
Jesus Christ. There were two lessons that that little boy learned that day. Number one, never doubt what God can do. It doesn't matter what the pressure is that you're under in this life. You may be carrying the weight, literally, of the world around on your shoulders. You may feel like, I can't bear this anymore. And the fact is, you can't. So what do you do with it? You take it to Jesus and you give it to him. Never doubt what God can do. Even that greatest weight that you feel like there's no way that I'll ever make it out of this. Surrender it to the Lord. Why? Because he's in the miracle business. Number two that that boy learned is never deny God whatever God asks you to give him. Why? Because he's in the multiplication business. I mean, think about it. Here's this little boy who takes these few fishes and these few loaves of bread and he gives it to Jesus and Jesus takes it and multiplies it. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, Jesus can take it and he can maybe not release you from it totally. You may still have to go under the pressure of it because he wants to use that pressure to, to bring about good in your life. He wants to make you, uh, it's kind of like a, like a diamond is, is formed under pressure. He, it's like that, that he wants to form uh, something great within you. But Jesus is in the multiplication business. As one poem put it, if just a cup of water is all that is in your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. You don't have to have a lot. Just give to him whatever you have. If you've got pressures and you've got stress and you've got anxiety and you've got worry, bring it to Jesus who can refresh your soul. Because when you give it to him, it feels like such a release and all that pressure is pulled off of you. Here's another point, another step that you can take to help you to live under pressure. Reconnect. Reconnect. Notice the second part of verse 13 says, and he went up on the mountain, that was the first part, and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. So notice what Jesus does. Jesus calls and he picks out, he chooses some choice men. Many followed him. There were great crowds that were followed him. There were many who followed him, who the Bible refers to as his disciples. But you know that there were those 12 who were the closest. Understand this, they had showed interest, they had showed commitment. We don't need to try to face the pressures of life alone. Solomon, wisest man in all of the Bible, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, he says this, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You need some godly friends in your life. You feel like you're bearing the pressure all by yourself. You need some people you can share that with. And there are believers who, who want to walk alongside you. Our, our deacons are a part of that here at our church. They, they're there to minister to your families. And so when you're struggling in your family and you're struggling with things, reach out to your deacon and let them know, hey, I'm just going through this and I just need you to pray for me. Because that's what we need. We need to reconnect. We need to have those people in our lives that we connect with that are believers that encourage us, that walk alongside us. Because if you're walking by yourself... You're not going to be able to bear it. 
You need Jesus, but he has placed people there all around you right here in your circles of of friends that are Christians to help you, to pray for you, to to encourage you, to give you scripture and encouragement uh, to point you back in the right direction. You need some friends like that. And then notice Jesus reorganizes in verse 14 down through verse 19. Verse 14 says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Now let's just stop there for just a moment. He needed these disciples to help him do the work that he himself couldn't do alone. He, here's one of the four lists of the disciples in the New Testament. One of the things you're going to notice about those lists is that Peter is always first. Philip is always fifth. And you remember who is always last? Judas. Judas. Mark's list is interesting because he gives them their appropriate nicknames, the common names. Notice the last name, Judas Iscariot, who's also the one who would betray him, a traitor among his closest friends. So he calls them to share his presence, to be with him. So before he wanted them to go out and to do anything... He wanted them to be with him. That's what he wants from you this morning. Before you go to share the gospel with anybody, before you go out there to face the world, he wants you to make sure, are you with him? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you're without him. And you cannot face this life without him and make it through and, and be successful in the end. Because ultimately, that's a pathway that leads to death, to hell, to, to an eternity in hell, separated from him forever. So before anything that he wanted them to do, he wanted them to be with him. The disciples were appointed to be with Jesus. And that's the first lesson he wanted to teach them. That God wants our personal fellowship. God wants our devotion before anything else. Isaiah 43 and verse 10 tells us that God wanted us to know him, to believe him, and understand him. Uh, Above everything else, 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he called them to share in his presence. He also called them to share his purpose. Uh, That's also stated there in verse 14. Notice he had called these 12 apostles whom he had named apostles so that they might be with him. That was one of the steps. But also that he might send them out to preach. Then you read verse 16, and it goes on to tell us, He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So he appointed these 12 so that he could send them out to preach. Wait just a second. There's 12. And one of those he's sending out to preach is going to betray him. Judas is one of those who went out and preached. 
The disciples were to be sent out. They were to be his ambassadors, his representatives who moved out into the world. They were appointed for that very purpose, to represent him among the peoples of the world. What were they to do when they got out there? They were to preach. They were to be proclaimers. They were to be messengers of Jesus Christ. He had a message for the world, and they were to proclaim that message to the world. Paul, uh, one of Jesus' followers, would later say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And, and so they started to do what Jesus did because they had spent time with him. But then notice finally he called them to share in his power. Go back to verse 15, a verse we skipped there. He had called them so that they might be with him, as verse 14 said, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So these disciples, they were appointed to receive authority or to receive power, the power to, min to minister, to heal sickness, to cast out demons. And, and Jesus gave them that power to do what he sent them to do. And he gives us that power also. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's given us his authority. He's given us his power. That's what's in the Great Commission in Matthew in chapter 28 and verse 18 that says, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority or all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But the greatest thing that he's given us is this. Notice what he had said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and, and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. But notice this verse in particular. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That's great things. And he's saying don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Here's what you need to rejoice in, that your names are written in heaven. Let me ask you this morning, is your name written in heaven? The only way for it to be written in heaven is for you to trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You know, one of the reasons that so many of us are under so much pressure may be because we're not doing what God has told us to do in his word. That we've not taken that first step and trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're there online, I'd encourage you to, to reach out to us, and we'll be glad to talk with you some more about doing that. But even if you have done that, you know for sure that you've received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Are you doing what he's told you in his word? Has God called you? Whatever it is you're doing, is it something God has called you to do, or are you just doing what you want to do? Have you even sought what God wants you to do? You know, what matters most is that you please God, not men. Some people are doing things that God has never called them to do. And so here's the thing I want to leave you with this morning. Here's the key takeaway that I want to give you from this message. Understand this. You're going to have pressure in this life. Jesus did and you will too. So what's the key takeaway? The way you live under pressure is by living in his presence. The way you live under pressure is by living in his presence. What does that say to us? 
It doesn't say that if I come to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, poof, the pressure is going to be gone. It doesn't say that if I'm a believer already and I go to prayer, uh, to, to the Lord in prayer, and I, I bring those burdens to him, that poof, it's all going to be gone. It's going to magically disappear. You may still have to walk under pressure. But when you're walking under that pressure, you're living in his presence. And living in his presence helps you to live under the pressure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to live under the pressures of this life by ourselves. Lord, you have sent the Holy Spirit who is not only a comfort to us in times of loss, but is also one who guides us and walks with us each and every day. And so, Father, I pray that we would make sure first and foremost that we are living in your presence by knowing Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, if there are those who are listening, those who are present, uh, who realize that this morning, that I'm not in the presence of Christ because I've never received him as my Lord and Savior, would they just call out to you, God, and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm tired of living under this pressure all alone. I know you love me, and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me and to be resurrected from the grave. I come this morning repenting of my sin, turning away from it and the pressure of it and turning to follow Christ and to receive that free gift of salvation. Father, I pray that those who call out to you and and, and that, that you would help them to live faithfully in their lives for you the rest of the days of their life, even under the pressure. Father, there are many who are here today, many maybe who are watching online who they know Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're under some immense pressure. Father, I pray that you will draw them closer to you than ever before. Father, I pray that there'd be a spiritual reboot in their life, that they would get things in the right priorities and begin to focus on Jesus and seek his kingdom first so that all the the needs of this life would be met and placed in in order. Father, as we're going through those difficult times and sometimes under the pressure, we feel like quitting. We feel like quitting our job. We feel like quitting our marriage. Sometimes you just feel like quitting on life. Father, I pray that if there are any who are feeling that kind of pressure, Let them know, God, in their heart of hearts that there is a peace that passes all understanding in the presence of Jesus. May they be drawn closer to you than ever before right now. Father, I pray that they will spend time with you, seek out your purpose and your will for their lives. Father, I pray that they'll faithfully serve you in all that they do. Father, I pray that as they draw near may you draw near. Father, I pray that they'll find that load is a little easier to bear because you're with them. Father, they may feel like I don't have anybody in my life who cares. Father, I pray that you'll begin to bring people into their life, bring people across their circles of life that that would be there as believers to encourage them and to, to refocus them towards Jesus, to walk alongside them, individuals that they could just be able to pick up the phone when they're under the most immense pressure and to say, I just need you to pray for me. Father, I pray that they would call out to you 
that they would rely on those faithful believers who are walking beside them. Lord, I pray they would even call out to our deacons in that wonderful ministry to our families. Father, whatever you need to do in our hearts and our lives, do this morning. Maybe it's just simply to come to this altar in prayer this morning and to leave some burdens here at the altar. Father, I pray for your will to be done in this invitation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 294, as we stand, will you make your way and come this morning? seated for just a moment. I just wanted to share with you this morning, Miss Judy Stockdale comes this morning. She moved away for a season. The Lord moved her away from us for a little while, but she is back now and wants to move her membership back to our church. Uh, Are you excited for her decision this morning to do that? Would you say amen? Amen. 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 We're so excited for you too, Miss Judy, and, and just know that we're here for you and anything we can do. We'll be praying for you. And you can just have a seat for there now. At the end, uh, she'll come back up and you come by and encourage her and give her the right hand of fellowship again. And Brother Rick. Just a uh, couple quick announcements. A um, couple of people in the, uh, in the pamphlet to keep their families uh, in your prayers that have had lost loved ones in the past couple of weeks. Um, remember Linda Hawkersmith with the healing of her hand. Um, just keeping her in your prayers. And Brian is asked to uh, pray for his brother. He has, is having surgery this upcoming week. Um, uh, 
get excited about VBS. Uh, that's coming not too long from now. So we are having a meal and a preview in the fellowship hall. Come join us for that. Even if you didn't sign up, there's going to be plenty. Uh, so come join us right after the service for that. Um, Century Kid is coming July 18th through 22nd. Um, we send a few kids every year, quite a few this year. Um, we are still looking for a female chaperone to come join us on that week. Um, and if you're interested in doing that or want more information, see Miss Amanda about that. Um, just a reminder that uh, Wednesday's uh, Awana is all about the awards for this year and uh, celebrating this year. There will be no prayer meeting or choir that evening. Um, and also the youth parent Bible study is at 5 p.m. tonight, so come join for that. Um, if anybody has anything else, just uh, stop by one of your deacons and let them know. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for what he's given us. Dear gracious Lord, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for being here with us today and uh, opening our hearts to this message that Brother Jim gave us. We thank you so much for all the children's programs and the beautiful singing from the kids, the Awana program, and Centric Kid, and all the camps that you allow us to send the kids to to grow them up in your word. We thank you for this place of worship, Lord, and we ask you to continue to be with us as we go out into the world this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.